But when I went to the UK, I realized that women are actually very independent. <laughs> <laughs> and I had an opportunity to pursue my education in a world-class institutions. I was not going to just after finish my PhD and let go of everything just to be a housewife. Because I realized that education actually gives me the ability to empower others and to inspire others. Education is powerful. And welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future program, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Dr Chern Anoon has served as an Associate Professor at University Sans Malaysia since 2013. Skilled in cancer research, drug discovery, and molecular oncology, Chern has been the recipient of numerous accolades during her career for her work on novel molecular therapeutics in cancer. They include the Exocon Young Scientist Award and being selected to participate in the Lindau Nobel Laureate meeting in Germany, where she received the L'Oreal UNESCO for Women in Science National Fellowship Research Grant for her work in the field of cancer research. Chern earned her PhD in Oncology at the University of Oxford and completed a postdoctoral fellowship at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden. She was a recipient of the Women of the Future Award Southeast Asia in the Science, Technology and Digital category in 2018. I was born in Penang, Malaysia. Family life, pretty much it was normal. I have very loving parents, very supportive parents. I've always wanted to be a medical doctor. <laughs> But my mom told me that if I chose to be a doctor, I might end up getting married to the hospital. (laughs) I I might not even find the time for my family. And so at some point in my life, I wanted to be a fashion designer. Oh, okay. It's it's almost completely different, a drastic change of uh, ambition. And I, I started designing my own clothes and buying cloth from a textile shop and, and going to tailors and have them tailor my clothes according to how I like them to be. And I definitely didn't like to wear something that others could buy off the racks in the shop. And then at some point, I just decided that I should go back into science again. Because I think growing up, I was very much influenced by my peers and I had friends who were pursuing biology and we majored in science and many of them are now medical doctors and engineers. So I think pretty much our peers kind of influenced our decision. So I think that's how I got interested in science and decided to go ahead with pursuing science. 
I did my biotech degree in the National University of Malaysia. And then I received a scholarship or a fellowship from the Malaysian government, the Ministry of Higher Education and University Science of Malaysia to pursue my direct PhD in University of Oxford. I studied in molecular oncology. So it was like a minor change of field. It was tough for me at the very beginning. I came from Malaysia and having to do a direct PhD and not being exposed to many of the different techniques that were probably very common in the UK, but not that common in Malaysia it was kind of a setback, but I wouldn't really want to call it a setback, but it was, it was a challenge for me because I was surrounded by really outstanding students who really knew the techniques and the methods because they have been exposed to these. So I had to really, really retool and relearn and put in a lot of effort on my site to make sure that I could cope and finish my direct PhD. Did you study your PhD in this country? So you went to Oxford University? Yes, that's right. What was that like for you, leaving your family behind and then coming over here to a completely different culture and society and way of life? Yes, yes, yes. You're right. Um, well, yeah, at first, because my, my mom is a very traditional mother, and I think it's very common in the Asian family for them to be a little bit overprotective, especially on the daughters. So it, it was a difficult one year, I would say, and I was homesick a lot. But I realized that by being homesick and constantly thinking about wanting to go back was not going to give me my PhD. So I, I had to be strong. I, I, had to, I had to change the way I see things mm. and I embraced the challenges. I knew that this is an opportunity that not everyone would get. And I had to appreciate what I had at that time. So with the culture shock, yes, I, I had a lot of culture shock when I was there. The most prominent was, of course, with the work-life balance. Because when I was in Oxford, you know, you think about really excellent, brilliant minds and really top students. So you always think that they are constantly in the libraries studying and maybe not having a life outside work. But this is completely not true because I realized that in Oxford, I was actually encouraged by my supervisor to not move close to the hospital where I worked so that I could actually enjoy a student life, you know, life in a college, you know, just enjoy life as a student. And it's not always about work and it's important to switch off sometimes. And I think this is one of the biggest lessons I've learned. <laughs> Definitely. I think also when it comes to a career in science, it's almost as though when you've made that decision, you go down that path, don't you? Because after Oxford, you went to do a postdoctoral fellow in Sweden, didn't you? Yes. So it's, you carry on on that same trajectory. And like you yes. said, you did have other interests. Clearly, you enjoyed fashion and had lots of other passions and interests in life. But were you then obviously at that point quite focused on where you were going and what you were trying to achieve in the field of science? Yes, I, I was very focused at that time because 
I went to do my PhD under scholarship and a fellowship by the university. So I knew that I had to come back to Malaysia to serve my bond. So obviously I kind of knew that I would have to go back to Malaysia and continue in science and I would have to flourish in this field no matter what. So with that, I was very focused on my work. I had to make sure that I started building my track record after my PhD so that I could sustain my career in science because the first five years of your career in science is very important after you are done with a PhD. You know, you are given so many opportunities as an early career researcher, but as you become older, these opportunities don't just come by just like that. It's really interesting for me. I was one of the first doctors or people in this kind of field that I've spoken to. And you are the first person from Malaysia and the Southeast Asia Awards that I've spoken to as part of the Women of the Future. And the Women of the Future is all about being kind and collaborative and having people help and guide you along the way. Is there a standout moment or person in particular that you would say help mould your interests and set your career off on this particular path? Is there someone that stands out for you or a moment in time, maybe? I, I guess everything changed when I went to Oxford. I have to share this because before I went to the UK, I had a completely different mindset. I didn't mind having a PhD and I didn't mind giving up my job to follow my then didn't exist husband anywhere in the world. You know, I didn't mind being a traditional housewife, that sort of thing. But when I went to the UK, I realized that women are actually very independent. <laughs> <laughs> And I had an opportunity to pursue my education in a world-class institutions. I was not going to just after finish my PhD and let go of everything just to be a housewife. Because I realized that education actually gives me the ability to empower others and to inspire others. Education is powerful. So with that, I would have to say that there are several people in my life when I was in the UK that actually shaped my thinking and my personality and my perspective in science. And they were actually my supervisor and my mentor. So Prof. Adrian Harris and Dr. Richard Sainson. I, I had a really tough time at that time because as I, I mentioned, I came from that sort of education it was a bit different from that in Oxford. You know, in mm. Oxford, you were taught to think and to be so independent and to be able to discuss and rebut. But in my culture here, growing up, it was a lot of, yes, ma'am, you know, we were not allowed to question the seniors. Not to say we were not allowed, okay, we were discouraged from questioning the seniors or our supervisors or our boss. So I was very much like that, you know, I was very meek and I was afraid to speak out. But when I worked with my mentor and my supervisor, they taught me to just be comfortable with my thoughts. I could always discuss my thoughts with them without having to fear that I might be wrong. And I think this is very important. Because coming back to Malaysia, 
I actually brought back what I learned as a scientist and I tried to treat my students the same. You know, I wanted them to experience what I had while being in Malaysia because they did not have the chance to go to Oxford. And so I tried to bring this culture back, but I guess it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's also interesting because when I was reading up about you before we spoke together, there was a couple of articles and they would say she's a mum, a wife. Oh, and a highly respected expert for her work on novel molecular therapeutics in cancer. So I think if that was me and I'd have read that, I'd be like, yes, I am all of those things. But then how do you yourself feel about, I suppose that's your local press prioritising your own life for you. And then they go on to accentuate the role of the men in your life and how that's allowed you to do what you do, which I think if that had been written in the UK might have been written slightly differently. But how do you, how do you personally feel about being represented in that way? Because you are all of those things. Mm. Yeah. So I guess, first of all, it's difficult to be a mom, a career <laughs> woman and having to strive for excellence in your work. But I guess the press in Malaysia is always, trying to they still have the defined roles right they still have this is a woman's role this is a career role i don't know do they try and like compartmentalize it and pigeonhole it and put it in those boxes that's what my husband says too because, <laughs> because my husband is german so he definitely sees these things too mm. so in asia yeah it's true that uh, there are still traditional mindsets that women's role are supposed to be at home and after getting married you're supposed to give up your job so that you can take care of the kids you can cook for your man you know and and honestly i had that sort of mentality too before i went to the uk because my friends did exactly that. My friend, my close friend had a degree in hospitality and management and then she went on to do a master and then she got married and immediately just gave up her job and everything. And she gave birth to one kid and then two years later another and then two years later another. So I asked her, are you planning to go back to work? And she said, yeah, I do. I, I still have that plan. But um, my husband thinks that I should stay at home and watch the kids. And I said, oh, okay, so you're not planning to at least, you know, try to be a little bit independent. I mean, I asked her politely mm. and she said, oh, my husband thinks that if I want to go back to work, it's best to work where he works. Right. Okay. Yeah. I really didn't know how to respond to that. And I pretty much had a lot of friends like that growing up. So that's why I had this uh, change of mindset when I went to the UK and more so when I went to Sweden, you know, where gender equality mm. is so strong and, and for me it was just clear. So when I came back, I really disliked it when people made decisions for me, especially when I was pregnant, they would make decisions for me and say that, oh, she's pregnant, she cannot travel, so it's okay, we give this to someone else. Or, uh, oh, she's about to give birth. Uh, it's okay. We, we just don't give her this piece of responsibility. It can go to someone else. But I, I would like to be asked if I could handle these responsibilities and give my own opinion and answer. Mm. And being told that, okay, I should not be doing this because I was pregnant or, or I was bound to go into maternity leave mm. for some time. 
tell us more about what you're doing now and what your career involves today and going forward. So I'm a scientist working on novel therapeutics in cancer. I'm actually working on the field called molecular tablet therapy and it was a field that was not well understood when I first started in Malaysia. I would ever say that it was a very difficult start for my career in Malaysia at that time because I felt that not only did people not understand my work and make decision to reject my grant applications because it was not well understood, I felt that they also were not willing to listen to me and my thoughts just because I was a young researcher. And this was something that I found very difficult to accept because when I was in Oxford, everyone was respected and everyone young or, you know, at 16 years old, I knew someone who pursued his PhD at 16 years old and he could be well respected. It's not about having a title in front of your name or having the rank or seniority, you know, that should affect how other people treat you. But when I came back here, I had to go through all this and I really struggled initially. Across all of the work that you've done, is there any one thing in particular that stands out or that you're particularly proud of? So despite the struggles that I went through, I was very adamant that I wanted to continue doing what I majored in. Because when I came back, I was also told that I didn't fit in. So I was constantly asked to change my field of research or there's a kind of pressure for me to do so. Why were they saying that you didn't fit in? Because you're a woman, not because you're a woman. No, it was more like the field of research that was that I was working on because not right. many people understood what it was. People at that time were very much into traditional medicine being used to treat cancer. And when they hear about using compounds and agents to be specific on certain targets to kill cancer cells, they just didn't get it. Because for them, traditional medicine is not toxic or less toxic because it's natural products right and they're cheap so i constantly had this from scientists and non-scientists i i did have members of the public writing me emails and asking me for opinion you know when they have family members being diagnosed with cancer they were always asking me what i thought about traditional medicine being the first option the first treatment option and that was actually very scary because i even had a teacher coming up to me and saying that, you know, I found these blogs or these articles online talking about plant extracts being used and immediately stage four cancer can be cured. I just didn't understand how they can believe in this because that is definitely not true. But when it comes to being proud of your work, you were proud that you persevered I guess and yes, you did, didn't right. get deterred. I knew that there was nothing I could do in Malaysia that would actually make people listen to me at that time because obviously I was young so I had my grants rejected too and the comments that I received were sometimes irrelevant or rude even so I recycled those grants and I applied for international fellowships and I received these international fellowships to go abroad for lab attachments and to have new collaborations with like-minded scientists and I continued from there. So I've only 
survived up to today because I have really kind collaborators, collaborators who believe in my abilities, collaborators who believe in what I have to offer, and they can empathize with what I went through, and they offered their labs, their facilities, their grants, their funding to allow me to use the materials and facilities to actually generate preliminary results for me to bring back to Malaysia and start to apply for bigger grants. And as a result of your work, you were the recipient of the Women of the Future Award for Southeast Asia in science, technology and digital category. How has that been for you? What was the experience like? And has it changed anything for you? Oh, yes, it was definitely, for me, it was life changing for one thing, because like I mentioned, as a young researcher, you know, I try to change mindsets, but I just struggle because when you were a nobody, nobody would listen to you. But I thank the awards that I received over the years because I use them now as platforms for me to speak out. I realized that not everyone has that platform and not everyone can speak out. So I'm really happy that I persevered and I'm very thankful to the awards that I've received and for those people who have believed in me, thank you. Okay, I have some quick fire questions for you. What would you describe as your greatest success? Well, I would say it's not so much the awards and the achievements in my life, but more so when I managed to empower, inspire my students to continue this tough journey with me. Because very often I see that they are also demotivated because they have to go through the same thing that I did, obviously, because opportunities would come but they might not get them for the same reason as for me and they persevered and there was always the pressure to publish by numbers and they hung on to it because i told them that publication by numbers is one thing but you need to always strive for quality so sometimes they were evaluated based on the numbers of output too. So we had to kind of think of ways to balance between quality and quantities. And I was very proud that I managed to make them feel that they're empowered to actually go through this journey and make a decision that they will not regret after that PhD. Because at the end of the day, it's how the world sees us. And what would you describe as your greatest failure? Well, hmm, my greatest failure. I wouldn't really call it a failure, but I have to admit that in the midst of all these struggles to try to make my work count and make people understand my work and try to pursue and push for my career to move in the pursuance of science as well as promotion, sometimes I feel that I have not spent enough time with my kids, especially when they were really young toddlers. If you ask me now, I couldn't remember the milestones that they have hit. And I think that is not very nice as a mother. So now I learned to strive a work-life balance. I learned to switch off when I need to. 
I think there's always mum guilt, isn't there? Whatever you're doing. Yes, you're I, right. I was so guilty that I, I was not able to deliver my best. And I was always so afraid that people would judge me, you know, oh, you know, she has a degree from Oxford. Well, this kind of work, you don't expect this sort of work to come from an Oxford graduate. I constantly had that sort of guilt and it was tough, but I learned that I'm not perfect and I have to accept that. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. How have you and your family been managing in the pandemic? And do you hope we'll take any learnings out of it as we hopefully start to emerge on the other side? Yeah, so um, lately I've shared an article with the Women of the Future Awards platform. I actually had an anxiety attack, a prolonged anxiety attack. Oh, wow. Because, yeah, it was in March. Yeah, suddenly, you know, Malaysia was declared on lockdown. And I've just registered myself to follow a course as a student. And suddenly I had to be a full-time mom. I had to be a student. I had to be a scientist. I had to be a leader to my students. I had to be everything. And at the same time, my husband lost his job. Oh, wow. And he was stranded in Singapore. He couldn't come back. You know, otherwise he could come back and help me with the kids. Yeah, it was, it was a tough time. It was like a sudden change in my lifestyle. And I just didn't know how to deal with that. And Overwhelming, had, yeah. Exactly. And I was also very active in outreach activities. And like you said, I had this mom guilt, you know. How should I prioritize my life at that time, you know. I wanted to do everything to the best of my ability. But clearly, I knew that I was not able to do so. It was tough, but then I started reflecting on the things that other people went through. I'm sure that they had it worse and I learned to be thankful despite these circumstances because I still had a job to go back to and I didn't have to struggle with finances mm. and I still have two very healthy kids in my life because I had friends telling me of the disappointment that they were having multiple miscarriages and things like that. So it's when you reflect on your life and what others go through, you tend to appreciate what you have and it kind of changed the way you see things. Yeah, it changes your perspective, doesn't it? Yes. The mantra of Women of the Future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? Oh, I'm definitely in for kindness because I think kindness is often underrated and overlooked. And especially after what I have been through here, I value kindness because I realized that it's because I have been on the receiving end of kindness, I was able to emerge and be the person and the scientist that I am today. In reality, kindness empowers people. Kindness can accelerate trust and respect and kindness can also inspire others to increase productivity. Unfortunately, kindness and leadership and all collaboration they are two words that you seldom see together because people might think that kindness is a form of weakness. You know, people might view it as you're too nice, but it's actually a balance. It's difficult to strike a balance by having to be strict and to be kind at the same time. Honestly, I sometimes I'm challenged in this aspect. I don't know if I'm actually too nice and as a result being taken for granted or that's why people treat me differently. But I still believe that I should be kind 
because especially the COVID pandemic, it has taught me a lot about being kind. I knew people who personally wanted to take their lives. You know, I knew personally people who had depression or anxiety attacks. And I learned that I had to not just dwell on my own thoughts and myself, but I have to, especially as a leader, I have to go out there and ask if they are okay to make them feel that they are still being cared for and they are not alone. Because with all this lockdown and the closing of the borders and everything, some of them are even stranded away from family. And I can imagine it's really tough time for many. Is there anything that scares you? I think the one thing that scares me is probably when I realize that I'm not good enough for international research standards. Is that, is that you saying that because you don't believe in yourself? I'm sure that's not acknowledged. That can't be true. Well, the thing is, coming back from the UK and of course Sweden, I came back from having a lot of facilities and funds to work on whatever ideas that I had to really struggling to even work on the simplest project here. And as a scientist, I feel that it's like a ticking time bomb for your career. You know, if you don't make it this far at a certain age or a certain time, and then you probably find it difficult to catch up. And I'm actually really afraid of that. That's why I really pushed very hard for my projects to work by hook or by crook. Hmm. I need to have them at least reach international standards. I need them to be of good quality. What's left on your to-do list? Sounds like there might be quite a lot. What's left on my to-do list? I would say I would still like to see the rest of the world. I would like to go travel the world. People say that you have kids and there goes your life, you know. No time to go to the cinema, no time for yourself. (laughs) And going for holidays, you probably be in a family resort all the time, you know. It's different. Life has changed. So I would like to be able to maybe wait for my kids to grow up and continue to explore the world and learn about different cultures. I also love volunteering with the less privileged. I have always wanted to volunteer in Cambodia or in Africa. It was something that I wanted to do after I was done my PhD, but I just didn't manage because I had the bond to surf. So it's probably on my to-do list. It's been so lovely speaking to you. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I know that you've got to go and get your kids from nursery, haven't you? <laughs> so um, yes. I'll let you get on with your day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.